0: Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Louis Chavez. Louis and I are going to talk about New Intimacies, a photographic study of gay cruising, which was inspired by the work of Peter Hujar, but takes a more experimental approach, which was further inspired by the writings of Jose Esteban Munoz. Uh, we'll also look at Louis's work as a curatorial assistant at the George Eastman House. And as a little teaser, you might just learn a little bit about the Situationist International and psychogeography. Uh, so if that doesn't uh, get you interested, I'm not sure. I want to know you. <laughs> Louis was also kind enough to send a video slideshow for the Real Photo Show YouTube channel. And then you can see that work while listening to the show. Or you could just visit uh, ChavezLouis.com. C H A V E Z L O U I S.com. And as always, Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. Begin building your dream photo book library today at CharcoalBookClub.com. And in case you've forgotten, uh, Jesse Lenz was on the show recently to talk about his follow-up to The Locust titled Seraphim, and that book has been available for pre-order, but it's also going to be, I believe, March's Charcoal Book Club Book of the Month. So if you join now, you should be able to get that as well, or you could just pre-order it, which I think is also shipping in March. Okay, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. Louis, thanks for joining me.
1: Of course, thank you very much for having me on today.
0: Oh yeah, it's my pleasure. So uh, we met at the um, MFA Portfolio Review homecoming event at RIT this year, which was I thought was fantastic. I really loved it. I enjoyed meeting everyone. What was your experience
1: like? I think it was a great opportunity for recent graduates from BFA and MFA mm-hmm. programs and especially that the opportunities were made available for free to students who were recently coming out of those programs. Um, I thought it was just such a rich resource being able to meet people and talk to, you know, other professionals or hear them talk about their work yeah. and, and their presentations. So yeah, um, yeah, I thought it yeah. was really, really cool.
0: And uh, for those who don't know, even though I've, I've said it on the podcast a few times, our name is the MFA Portfolio Review, which is the name we started with. And it really doesn't, it doesn't really describe the, the homecoming event, which is open to like two year, four year MFAs. Uh, so um, yeah I, it, it was great it was a lot of fun uh, but that's where I met you at a portfolio review and then I, I got to see your work and you know I thought the work was fantastic and I thought you know it'd be great to have you on to talk about it. You are also a curatorial assistant at the Eastman Museum, which also commonly called the Eastman House, right?
1: Yep, exactly It's got of course such a long history as a museum yeah. as the George Eastman house and so people, still kind of refer to that. Yeah, I think it was about a decade ago that they changed the name formally to the George Eastman mm-hmm. Museum.
0: Yeah, and I still use <laughs> I still use their videos when I'm teaching photo history or teaching processes. Uh they have the they have some if those who don't know, they have some of the best videos on how things are done in photography, especially with the historical processes.
1: Yeah, and those were of course uh resources that I was learning as a student as well. They were used in my classes at Suny Brockport and by other people and i've also been to other conferences or workshops where those videos get pulled up without my expecting it and i'm also like this is great <laughs> it's cool that this is out there and such a good resource for people
0: yeah then i, I want to talk to you of course about what you do there but let's just start at you know at the very beginning how did you get started in all of this uh i know you're from the west coast originally right i
1: am yeah i'm from bakersfield california which is in the central valley it's about an hour and a half north of Los Angeles. Um, and actually in my hometown where I'm from, it's kind of isolated from a lot of the arts that you see in a lot of other larger metropolitan areas. Still in my high school and also just among friends in my community, there were a lot of artists and photographers and musicians. So a lot of my friends were doing 35 millimeter film and, you know, setting up their own enlargers, developing a home because maybe they took a class at high, in high school or Mm. at the local college. Um, so there was always actually a good deal of my friends who were doing that kind of work, and I was also doing that too.
0: And you had an interest, not more than an interest, you played music, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I played drums and I played synthesizer. I did ambient recordings and experimental uh, music and things like that as well.
0: But you grew up with uh, punk and, and hard rock? and
1: Yeah, oh yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I guess some of the first bands that I were, was in were, you know, hardcore, metalcore kind of bands, which... Is only slightly embarrassing to me now, but I had a lot of fun doing it at the time. (laughs) And and in Bakersfield, there was actually a really rich history of punk in that area with uh, a local pizza shop that had shows in the basement. Mm. Um, Local churches would have, you know, venues where they would, you know, just have like anybody whose bands wanted to come and play. And there was a really fantastic boxing gym called the Munoz Gym that bands from all over the world would come to play at. And the bands would play inside of the boxing ring. And it was kind of just a an amazing spectacle to be there for at the time
0: when does the musical interest start to you know merge into visual arts
1: well i moved to portland oregon in 2008 and uh, i had also sort of been doing music in portland i was part of a queer music and art festival called not enough and uh, through not enough i was also just beginning to do visual art with my project at the time so it was kind of a multimedia synth punk project where I played drums live over a pre-recorded mm. synthesizer track while I had projections playing as well. And so, so it sort of became this like audiovisual thing. I guess through that, I also began to get into experimental video and experimental cinema. And um, I started coming to New York in 2011 for the Mix Festival, which was a queer experimental film festival. And I was doing video installation art for that. So Kind of over time, okay. I began to do music, video. Video sort of led to other visual arts, still still photography and things like that, too.
0: When you come to New York, you're in the, I know you're in the, oh, maybe I have this mixed up. Did you live in the Lower East Side?
1: I didn't live in the Lower East Side. I was living in Brooklyn primarily, uh, but I was, working, oh, okay. I was working with friends who run a community garden in the Lower East right. Side. Yeah, so I would often commute in or help them in their studio, things like that, too.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and we could talk about that a little later. You curated a film festival, right? A, about a, an organization from the Lower East
1: Side. Yeah, it wasn't right. a festival, right? but it was an uh, event at Visual Studies Workshop where I okay. screened films from uh, the video collective. The film and video collective was called Naked Eye Cinema. Mm-hmm. And Naked Eye Cinema was active in the 1980s and 90s at ABC No Rio, which was a legendary punk venue in the Lower East Side. Right. And so uh, when I moved to Rochester some years ago, I was really interested in trying to bring some of that work here because at Visual Studies Workshop, there's also a great legacy and history of, of experimental cinema and underground filmmaking, things like that, too.
0: Okay. So now yeah. I get it. I had so that I a little sense. You were participating. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Well, let's uh, stay on track a little bit with uh, your history and all this. When do you end up at SUNY Brockport?
1: So I moved to Rochester from New York City in 2014. And I'm here for a couple of years, primarily from 20, I guess 2017 is when I, 2016 and 17 is when I really start picking up photography in earnest. I'm using the Mm. community darkroom here at the Flower City Arts Center. And they have a darkroom club. So I'm going to their meetings and meeting other photographers learning a lot of the technical aspects of photography. A friend's dad of mine is a photographer, and uh, he was really generous and gave me a Nikon F100, which is this very feature-oriented SLR film camera. And at the time, I had only really used point-and-shoot cameras, which I like, yeah. and it was I like the ease of that. Um, but I was interested in learning some of this kind of technical things about exposure, aperture, shutter speed, and things like that. Uh, and then as I began to get further into it i just met other artists and photographers in the area and one of them was a an instructor she's a professor at suny brockport uh kitty hubbard who was just a friend who i met at a restaurant that i was working at at the time actually and she invited me to i told her that i had wanted to finish my degree and study photography more formally so she invited me to brockport and i applied to the bfa program in 2019 and i was accepted and i began there in september of uh 2019
0: okay so yeah a, a formal photo education is fairly recent for you. It
1: is, yeah. I mean, I'd also I'd always done art and done photography and was kind of really rejecting the art school complex in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think like I had a number of friends who went through those processes and it provided a lot of resources, of course, but uh, they also had frustrations with it too. And so I come from a working class background. Like college, I, I went to college and dropped out a couple of times, and you know. It wasn't for me at the time I was initially going into school, but over time I was thinking, you know, I I do want to get a formal degree and I want to practice photography and I'd like to teach photography. And so those became sort of motivating factors behind my choosing to return to school in 2019 and begin to study photography more formally.
0: Did you go straight from SUNY Brockport to RIT then?
1: I did, yeah. And uh, so I basically started at Brockport in 2019 and... I was still working at the restaurant here in, the, here in Rochester. And when the pandemic happened, we kind of closed for a while. But I was you know, just thinking that this is actually kind of a good time to be in school in a way. It's, mm. it's tough and challenging in many respects. Uh, but at least I have this thing to focus on while, while I'm at home or you know, while I'm limited to the access to the resources that I had at, at, our, at our school. And actually, because I was in my BFA program at the time, I changed my degree to a Bachelor of Science because I didn't have access to my to the studio facilities for a semester, but I still wanted to stay on track to graduate. So I was able to make it so that I graduated on the same track, but I don't actually have a BFA now. I just have a Bachelor of Science oh, that's, degree.
0: that's pretty interesting. Yeah. You were just taking the enough of the courses to get a, a, B, a Bachelor of Science degree?
1: Yeah, because I mean, I was really going for a Bachelor's degree so I could just go into a Master's program. Uh, but I was also doing a museum studies minor at the time, uh, so mm-hmm. I was also still able to work on independent curating work, and that's when I was programming for Visual Studies Workshop, which has a relationship with uh, SUNY Brockport.
0: Yeah, and that's where you you held that presentation on uh, Naked Eye Cinema. Exactly, yeah. And I worked right. at the
1: time with Tara Nelson, who's the curator of moving images at Visual Studies Workshop, and we uh, put together a program for that, mm-hmm. and it was... An independent study as part of my undergraduate study um, but yeah so basically i did that from 2019 until 2021 in february of 2021 right before i graduated i began a studio assisting for joshua rashad mcfadden who's a photojournalist from rochester not primarily not explicitly photojournalist, but at the time was especially doing a lot of photojournalism around the united states and black lives matter demonstrations that were happening here locally as well as in georgia and in minnesota and a few other places Uh, So I had sort of begun doing that at the very tail end of my undergraduate study and into the summer. And I had applied at that time to RIT for a graduate program. So then when I was on the road with Joshua that summer, I got my notification and Josh was actually teaching at RIT at the time. So I was kind of thinking like, I don't know if I can still try to do both or maintain a full course load while I'm also, you know, needing to do this. So, um, so that sort of changed the gear with that, unfortunately, but but it was a great opportunity to be able to go into a program one right after the other. So
0: was Joshua Rashad McFadden there while you were there as well?
1: At RIT, yes. But I think Joshua primarily teaches in the BFA programs and oh, teaches okay. advertising photography. Oh, wow. So so we don't have actually a lot of overlap um, at RIT. But yeah, I got to know just a lot of other faculty working in the MFA program that I was mm-hmm. in.
0: Your background actually gives you kind of the best of both worlds, like sort of self-taught in a lot of ways, but then also now with the formal education. And so you really have this sort of rounded, well-rounded idea of art and the art communities and art production, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for a long time, I really took pride in being self-taught. I mean, self-taught in the respect that like I could do it outside of an institution, but of course, well within a community of practitioners and people who were very supportive to me and to my learning mm-hmm. process in that in that way. But, um, but, you know, I'm also very grateful at this point for the kind of opportunities I've been able to work toward as an artist and as a curator, you know, doing these museum programs and doing these other formal, you know, studies too. And I think that there's a lot of merit in some respects. I think it, it it's all a matter of finding the kind of program that works for you and the kind of people that you'd like to work with that took me a long time to figure out i'm in my 30s i mean i'll be 40 in a couple of years and like at this point i was just thinking like i want to formalize my education in this way but i also want to maintain whatever i can from from being very much community oriented and thinking a lot about you know earlier earlier ways in, of learning and teaching and sharing in community
0: yeah, and you have a pretty active uh, bio right now, right? Uh, you were just in uh, Cam- Barry Campbell Gallery for Postcards from the Edge Visual Aids Benefit. In 2023 and 2022, it looks like you were also pretty active as well.
1: Right? Yeah. The last couple of years has been a good opportunity being able to be pushed to uh, to apply for mm-hmm. exhibitions and my program and things like that as well.
0: Before we get to new intimacies, which sure. is the work I saw and the work uh, we, sh- we want to talk about, I was just curious to know what your what went into the sort of decision because I think at this point it's a, it's an active decision to not be on social media.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. It <laughs> was actually um, it was that summer between it was twenty twenty one right between my undergraduate and graduate program, and after I had finished uh, my project working with Joshua Rashad, we were on the road for a while. Uh, I continued my trip. I was um, drove all the way to California where I'm from and. Uh, spent about two months out in California. And I knew I was going into my graduate program. So I wanted to really get just one of these long road trips out of the way. And in that process, I was thinking I'm going into a program to study photography, and I really want to be intentional about how I consume images. And I think that was just kind of the process of choosing to stop using an Instagram account. You know, I just wanted to be more active in my in my viewing of images. And I think sometimes it can be more passive on social media, where you just kind of compulsively open an app and you're kind of seeing things and it's advertisements and it's things you might care about, things you might not really care about. Uh, so that all mm-hmm. just kind of like, I wanted to, I guess, just have a lot of focus in my program. And that was kind of the intention and choosing not to use a social media account.
0: Do you imagine yourself just for your own work and your own promotion getting back on social media? Or is does that just not interest you?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, I, I do sometimes flirt with the idea of creating an account again but then i i don't know it feels a little pointless to me too (laughs) i don't know it's kind of i think i've like i've taken to just the time that i have to myself when i'm not active in my work or when i'm not Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm just trying to read more or i'm trying to exercise or go hike or whatever else you know might be interesting to me and it's not to say that i can't have social media and do that but i think i've just been it's been now a couple of years and
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know. I enjoy it. I enjoy not being on social media (laughs) and the bombardment of like the horribleness of the world sometimes.
0: (laughs) I I appreciate that very much. (laughs) So uh, let's talk about new intimacies. When does that work start?
1: So when I was at SUNY Brockport, uh, I had to kind of pitch a final project in my photography course, my advanced photography course. And at the time... And, and before this as well, but I had been really interested in the writing of Jose Munoz, who's a queer scholar and academic who uh, mm-hmm. passed away some time ago. And and I wanted to use his book. It's called Cruising Utopia, The Then and There of Queer Futurity, as a starting place to think about how I can create images um, in a visual culture based on the things that he's discussing and conceptualizing in the book. So the second chapter of his book is called Ghosts of Public Sex, and I thought that that was going to be the kind of uh, container in which I would try to create some photographs uh, and also insert ex- excerpts of the text into this group together. So so I did that for my last semester at SUNY Brockport and uh, was excited about how it turned out. You know, I think it was well received. And when I had gone into my program at RAT, I applied with a portfolio that I had made around that same time as well. And the portfolio was called Lovers I Had and Liked. And that was a, a cheeky title of, mm-hmm. a, of a journal that an ex had given to me. And <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was just, that work was also queer photography in the sense that I'm kind of representing a community. And at the time it was lovers, it was friends and people in my life. Uh, so it was more personal to me, but then I wanted to think about how I can kind of expand on that and think about something Uh, broader than just my personal experience of community and so then uh, at RIT that's kind of when that that's when that project began to take a little bit more shape. During the pandemic I was kind of forced to rethink how I can represent community when so many of my photographs before were portraits of people, portraits of friends and lovers. I wanted to think how can I try to create other photographs that can embody a cultural history or a social history that don't necessarily require my representing people or portraits in the work. And so that's when I started to incorporate a lot of landscape work or experimental photographs where I'm just manipulating my lens or manipulating certain things in development to kind of achieve an effect of an ephemerality of of that experience. Let's back up
0: a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) by all (laughs) means. The the work itself are uh, photographs made uh, in gay cruising Spots, right? Yes. That you were uh, inspired by the work of Peter Hujar, who had photographed uh, cruising spots in New York City, in Manhattan, uh, around the the meatpacking district, uh, other places, but, or, but primarily, I think, around the meatpacking district, right? Yep, that's correct. On the West Side. On the West yeah, Side, and yeah. also some
1: in New Jersey, actually.
0: But this isn't. This is inspired or influenced by that work, but it, it is not uh, similar in the way the work is made. Uh, Hujar's work has a very kind of documentary style to it in the sort of uh, reality aspect of it, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And then what you were just getting to is your work has this ephemeral quality
1: to it. it does. Yeah. Yeah. And then Hujar's work and the the reference actually for that building on kind of what I've been reading with Jose Munoz was Douglas Crimp's book, Before Pictures, Mm. that was published in 2016. And there's a really... uh, one of the kind of foundational lines in that book that became part of my project was where Douglas Crimp discusses Peter Hujar's photographs as cruising pictures with no people in them. And that was kind of the impetus for me thinking, how can I like Hujar in some sense try to represent a, a cultural history of cruising without having mm-hmm. to necessarily make it a, a portrayal of people meeting in public spaces or things like that?
0: Yeah, and uh, you and you were you were alluding to it before. So there there are photos where you know there's light sticks <laughs> in the work, and uh, and and when there are people, um, either it's sort of the backs or they're very much. Um, like, there's one image in general I'm thinking of. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of. I think it's behind. Um, glass that has a lot of, uh, sort of humidity on it and water on it. Right. And so these aren't portraits of people in a sense, in the way that we think
1: about identifying people, right? Exactly. And that was a pretty intentional choice to think about, you know, again, if I have people in my photographs, I want them to be kind of representative of a history and not quite, not necessarily, um, it's not a portrait of that person or their story in particular. It's, just kind of a stand-in for a uh, body mm-hmm. language or for a sort of visual cue toward how somebody might you know, glance at another person in the woods or how somebody might you know, try to receive attention when they're out meeting, meeting other people too.
0: Yeah, and when you've, you've written about the work, you've talked about, uh, there was one quote that really stood out to me, the thrills and dangers of secluded geography.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think when you're talking about the meatpacking district, I think that's a great example when we think about the nineteen seventies and the nineteen eighties, because people would go there and they would climb on these derelict pier structures or they would get into the trucks that were in the meatpacking district. And while that was kind of fun and part of the thrill of it, you know, people were also getting mugged, people fell to mm-hmm. their deaths. There were also like a lot of dangers in these spaces. And I think that's a result of that marginalizing that happened. At the time where people were sort of pushed to these outskirts of cities or places right. in order to find what they were otherwise denied in their personal lives based on the society that they, that they live in. A couple of the other references that I'm using in the book were thinking about not just gay men's cruising history which is very much active in my work but also queer women's mm-hmm. histories and one of the founders of the Lesbian History Archives, Joan Nessel, writes in the 1970s about going to re-speech in New York you know, and also Esther Newton has written a book about Fire Island and, and Cherry Grove in particular. And of right. course, these were also, they weren't the dangerous outskirts of the city, but they were also quite far. And you had to do a two hour subway and bus ride in order to get to a space that you felt safe enough or comfortable enough to express love with your partner, or with any of your other lovers or friends in those areas too.
0: Yes. You mentioned Fire Island and I know you've met Uh, Matthew Lifite, Matt's been doing a lot of work on Fire Island and I think you actually showed work at uh, one of the events that Matt uh, was running, is that right? Yeah, Matt
1: organized an event called uh, Soiled it's the downtown Mm. Dirty Book Fair and I think he's maybe done a couple of iterations of it, but this was at the community garden in the Lower East Side where my friends Jack and Peter run that garden and so I was working with Jack and Peter in the summer of 2022 and also helping organize events in their garden. And that's when we were all put in touch with each other as Matt was organizing Mm. the book fair there.
0: You've also, uh, I think you were in a show curated by Lissa Rivera.
1: Yes. As Uh, well.
0: mm -hmm. And then uh, you're in another show called Homecoming that was juried by Jess Dugan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) At SPE last year, um, Homecoming was the theme of the conference.
0: That's right. And so, that's right. So in oh, 2023
1: yeah. I got to be in two different homecoming shows which was pretty great. Yeah, one of them <laughs> that's great. one of them was in Denver, yeah. Colorado and the other one was here in Rochester.
0: Yeah. So then with this work, I know you we talked about it uh, at RIT, but also you've presented it in a way that is in in book form. Um, and that's I think that's how you really think about this work being seen. Yeah, ultimately.
1: I I like to do the exhibits and show the work in frames and tacked to the wall and things like that. I always love to play with exhibition spaces and, uh, and material qualities in that way. Uh, and the book thing is kind of a new iteration of that project where I would like it to be kind of contained as a way to also disseminate it more widely and share with people. I'm kind of always balancing between whether or not I wanted to do like an artist book or zine kind of a thing or mm-hmm. a formal publication with publisher and I still haven't really landed anywhere with that. I've been in the process lately of just kind of sequencing images and thinking about um, just the book as a form of art in itself. And so, right. uh, so yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm still kind of... I did a residency recently at Visual Studies Workshop where I was able to mm-hmm. spend a month doing some sequence layouts. Yeah, I'm kind of reworking that. I feel like now I'm understanding that it, to make a final book, it actually takes like 15 different iterations before one finally <laughs> gets... Right. And I think I'm on like iteration number three right now.
0: <laughs> well, you also have text and the text does directly mention or the text is directly about cruising spots, right? Uh, in, in the work. Do you show that text when you're showing the work on a wall or was that was that added later for the idea of a book?
1: No, I've always had that as part of this group of work, basically. So during the thesis show, I had a table uh, where I had photocopied documents. There were excerpts from the the bibliography that I had been putting together for the thesis document. And I didn't want them to be so directly, you know, they, they do talk about the history of cruising and things like that, but they're kind of glimpses or they're also like mm-hmm. ephemeral in their own way too. Uh, and so the copies have these markings of, their machinery they're they're typewritten they're they have kind of the result of the photocopy machine on them they're sometimes a bit blurry because of the the way that the ink is laid out or something like that but they are meant for people to kind of take away in the space in the kind of felix gonzalez torres sort of sense mm-hmm. of of a, a gallery takeaway and uh yeah, yeah. And, you know i did want them to be a part of the work in some sense or another so for each installation that i've had of this work recently they've been a part of that show too and that comes that comes from the textual elements of wanting to make a work that's rooted in a in a book, and Jose Munoz's Cruising Utopia, and also to create a visual thing. But I do want them to kind of be in dialogue with one another.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of of installation, you mentioned that in, in a write up about you that you were interested in the Situationist International group from the fifties and sixties and their ideas on psyche. I'm going to say it wrong. Psychogeography. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Which. I, I love that idea. The it, It's actually something I think about a lot uh, in my work, the idea of the threshold, how the the sort of the architecture and shape of a place can affects your behavior, or just the idea of being in between spaces, you know, affects your behavior. But this is how the effect of a, a geographical location uh, affects your emotions and your
1: behaviors, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I got interested in this when I was like a teenager and first coming into reading like anarchist publications and the situationists are really popular among the anarchists for their like their ideas about you know how we can construct space for people or for communities as opposed to for co- commerce or mm-hmm. or things like that too uh, but it's yeah, always they were very stuck interested in
0: they were very interested in this idea of the authentic experience as opposed to an experience you know mediated through commerce or purchasing or media for that matter right like exactly authentic experience yeah and being there uh, but also the group itself is is such a an interesting group in history because it also splinters off and actually um, when they they start talking about uh, psychogeography there had been like I think several splits in the leadership of the group and and uh, there was the the letterist international and all and it's 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 always been a fascinating group to me when I did teach photo history. That was always sort of, in in some ways, uh, one of the more interesting topics, but also the more difficult topics to try to explain in a semester, (laughs) in in just one lesson or two lessons. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: had a a bit of a tricky time trying to work it into my thesis presentation as a way that (laughs) could make sense in the span of two minutes.
0: Well, you did a great job. I actually meant to mention that your thesis is really wonderfully written and and very easy to digest. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And I had a lot of, I mean, my cohort at RIT was really wonderful group, in addition to the faculty that were working with us on these things. But I mean, we sat and revised and revised and worked through our presentations and our writings. We Mm -hmm. wanted to really kind of help each other's text be, you know, well conveyed as as well conveyed as possible.
0: Right. So what kind of work have you been doing at the Eastman Museum?
1: So I started at the Eastman Museum right after graduating in May last year and in 2023. And at the I had just been put right onto to helping our head curator Jamie Allen working on a, our selections rotation which is in our collection gallery the gallery there often features just kind of a broad history of photography and uh, at this time we were just bringing in some elements in order to think about kind of broad histories of photography um, I think there's kind of a more broad push in the in the field to to think about multiplicitous histories of photography because. The ways that, you know, it's told through certain academic texts or some of these other Mm -hmm. books, it's just really it's canonized in a way that actually omitted so much work from marginalized communities or from lots of other people who are doing creative things but didn't get the recognition that they, you know, might have received otherwise. But that was one of the first projects, just putting together some work in that show. And it's a lot of groupings of photographs. Uh, and then also I work on acquisitions with our associate curator, Phil Taylor. So we just had board meetings this week. We're kind of Hmm. just, you know, we present things to our board and get purchases underway for the museum. And we also do gift, um, we receive gifts as well. So I'm Mm -hmm. kind of getting some elements of exhibition design, exhibition work. Uh, we have a recent, I'm sorry, we have an exhibition upcoming that'll be opening in March of recent acquisitions. So I'm also working on that with Phil Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, just kind of getting my bearings in a curatorial department at a museum at this point.
0: Yeah, that is very much along the lines of uh, Lissa Rivera's sort of creative body of work, right? Both, both as curator and as artist, and of course Matt Lifite and 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 uh, Jess Dugan are doing some obviously quite a bit of curating themselves. But yeah, that that balance of where you're really kind of in a world where you're promoting others, but also thinking about you know, that whole sort of creative influence, right? Where you are someone who creates work, someone who then promotes the work of others, but you want to do it in a way where it, it also, it still feels like you, right? Absolutely. Part of, part of your creative process. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And for me, I think it's a great extension of being able to be in community with other artists and photographers. And as an extension of like my graduate study, where I'm always, I'm just deeply invested in the study of photography at this point And It's been a wonderful way to keep on that. I feel like I'm just still a student of photography as I'm working to curate shows or things like that too or work with our collection objects and kind of stewarding this other history of our institution as well. And so, yeah, I I just think it's really, all of it does really inform, all of this work does inform itself and Mm -hmm. informs my own creative work and also my curatorial work too.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I forgot to ask you, uh, thinking about where you are now in Rochester, you you went from you know the West Coast to uh, New York City, then up to Rochester, which must have felt very different from the other two places <laughs> you were at. It did, you know, but went, it was um, yeah. Go ahead, yeah. It was what? Yeah. It
1: was a it was a welcome reprieve. I mean, for a while, I I had just been living in New York City, and um, at the time, I had been bartending and working in a, a restaurant there, and couple days a week, you know, I just didn't have like tons of money to spare. I wasn't like so involved with the art community at that time. Yeah, I just come up here to visit at the urging of a friend. And, you know, the quality of life actually seemed a lot, a lot more appealing to me at that time. And so, so when I moved here, I sort of began to meet other artists and um, really just dig into the resources that were here. That's how I began and being involved with the Flower City Arts Center and Visual Studies Workshop. And, uh, you know, it's just such a great creative community and so many I have actually a really good friend who just we talk a lot about moving to smaller cities and how this is kind of like it's not often the direction that people take if they want opportunities but at the same time it does provide you a certain I guess like it provides you with a certain quality of life that allows you to kind of engage you know work that you need to do for yourself or thinking or research or whatever else it might be and in um, that way, like Rochester's been such a welcoming place for me to be at. And yeah, i have just really kind of, <laughs> I wasn't even so into photography when I moved here, but just by nature of being right. here, it's such a photographic town in, in all of its history.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much in the DNA of Rochester at this point. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know well, that I'll be about, here forever, about... but I do like it here. So right. it's, it's it's been good to me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So have I missed anything? Is there anything coming up? Anything you're working on? Or is it just sort of more of a figuring out your life right now (laughs) (laughs) Um, post-graduate?
1: I mean, I would recommend anybody who's in the area to come to the Eastman Museum for our Mm -hmm. shows, uh, both in March for the New Directions acquisition show. And also the museum's 75th anniversary exhibition is going to open in November. And that's going to be... major collection show, but the museum... I was going to say,
0: that that, that's going to be phenomenal, right? Yeah, the
1: museum opened to the public in 1949, and this is our 75th anniversary of being open to the public. We'll have... The museum always has film programs in the Dryden Theater, but this will also be a great opportunity for us to show many of the things in our collection, uh, and I think it's going to be a great show. So if others are in the area, please do come and see that as well.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know if I should uh, uh, say this now, but uh, you and I... uh... We'll hopefully be seeing each other again in Rochester to uh, maybe to uh, do a show at the Eastman Museum.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Michael, if you'd like to come over, let me know and uh, we'll set it up. And I'd love to show you around there.
0: Yeah, it'll be great. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you for doing this. And of course. really, it was, it was such a pleasure to meet you and to see your work. And I have uh, uh, great expectations for it. <laughs> That's really sweet.
1: Thank you very much, Michael. It's been very generous right. of you to reach out. All right. Thanks. Take care.
0: Bye. All right. Bye, everyone. Real Photo Show is produced by me, Michael Chovin Dalton. Music by Matteo Chovin Dalton and Jim Raimundo. Recorded at the Rutherford Music Exchange. If you like the show, please rate and review with all the stars on your favorite listening platform.